Amen. We serve a great and a mighty God. We do not serve a weak and passive God, but our God is great. Well, good morning, Epiphany Church. It is good to be here with you this morning. Uh, Psalms 100, verse number four says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You know, it's really two ways, according to that verse, it's two ways to come into the house of God. And that's with thanksgiving and with praise. And I'm not sure of how you came in this morning. I'm not sure of the, of the week you had. I'm not sure of the burdens that you have. I'm not sure of, of what baggage you're bringing in here. Uh, and if you're finding it hard to conjure up joy and thanksgiving and praise, uh, the one thing that should cause you to praise God, no matter what your circumstances is, is when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ. And the reason that is, is because at the cross of Jesus Christ, there is fullness of joy. This is what I love, man. When I think about um, when I, my childhood, I used to go to church at a church in, uh, in Jacksonville, North Carolina, when my father was stationed on Camp Lejeune. It was a little Baptist church called First Baptist, and the, the pastor there, Reverend James Brown, not to be confused with the Godfather of Soul, was not the Godfather of Soul. He was not my pastor. Uh, older guy by the name of James Brown, he would look at the congregants as they come in, and if he looked around and it just looked like people were sad or burdened, he would start to sing a song, and I'm not going to sing the song, but he would sing a song that says, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart. What'd they do? They rolled away. It was there by faith, not by works, by faith that I received my sight. Now I am happy all the day. And he would sing that song in order to lift our spirits. What was he doing? He was getting a burdened congregation to look at the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is so important for us. Well, it is our last Sunday as a church doing one service. We are next week going to two services and we're excited about it. If you come here at 11 o'clock next week, you'll uh, be late for one of the services and early for the next. So you can kind of figure out what you want to do with that. I don't know what you want to do. If you want to come in at the last part of the service or wait for the second one. Uh, but nevertheless, our service times will be 10 o'clock next week and 11.45. And we're excited about that. You know, one of the things the Lord ha has really put on our heart is to reach as many people with the gospel of message of Jesus Christ as we can. And we don't define success as a church as filling seats. That's not the goal of another service. It's not to just get people in here to sit in seats. But the, the, real, the way we define success is not by filling seats, but by seeing people's lives filled with Jesus. And, and the way we get to do that is by opening up a whole other service to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited about this second service. There, there's a little pastoral push that I'd love to give to you guys uh, today. Honestly, uh, Every Monday morning, early in the morning, I spend my time in this room praying. Not just this room, but this the entire church praying. Nobody's in here. It is just me and the Lord. And I, I walk every aisle. I, I touch every seat. I think of you. I see your faces. Uh, I think of the conversations that we've had and prayer requests that you've, uh, that you've made. I think about your families, your kids, your marriages, your sickness. I have an obligation, according to James, uh, those that are sick call on the elders of the church. So I have an obligation to pray for your uh, physical health. And I'm bringing this up is because all month I've been doing that. And I, I do it quite often, but every Monday I do that. And, and for some reason, when I was on my way back home from, uh, I was out of town earlier this week, and on my way back home on the flight, uh, I was praying for some reason about our Monday mornings. And it, it was almost like the Lord really pressed on my spirit not to pray alone this Monday. 
every Monday, I'm, I'm literally sitting here. Sometimes I'm on my knees and, uh, and I'm just praying and, and the Lord really just pushed that on my heart. And so I just kind of want to call the church to a corporate prayer tomorrow. And I know some of you cannot make this and some of you will think I'm plumb crazy for even asking you to do this. Uh, but I will be on my knees at six o'clock tomorrow morning and I am inviting the entire church, anybody that can meet me. Uh, to be in corporate prayer tomorrow at 6 o'clock in the morning. Now, I know you're like, I got work, I got these kids, I got a whole bunch of other stuff to do. Uh, and if you can't make it, I completely understand. It's, it's not mandatory in any way. But I, I do want to kind of push the pastoral burden on you that uh, I, I really believe that corporate prayer is, is something special about it. Uh, it's something special about praying early in the morning. D David said this way in Psalms 5, verse number 3. He says, Oh, Lord, you hear my voice in the morning. So it's something about early morning prayer before the, I mean, the butt crack of dawn. I didn't mean to say that. It slipped out. The crack of dawn. When the sun is coming up, it's something about getting before the Lord. And so uh, I, I really am. I'm inviting everybody, everybody that can and will meet me here at six. Maybe that means you have to sacrifice a little bit more uh, time and sleep. Maybe that means you got to go home and iron your stuff out tonight, prepare lunch and everything tonight and meet us here. And right afterwards, we're going to pray from six to seven o'clock. Uh, and maybe you can come in for a half an hour or maybe you can come in, you know, from six to six thirty or you can uh, come in at 630 and leave at seven. Whatever you have to do, I really would like to uh, to see your faces here tomorrow, six o'clock. Let me just also say, you know, one of the things that happens when you have uh, a space in a, a prime location like this on Fulton Street is you get a lot of requests to use the building for different things. There are movie sets that have, you know, movies have been made around here have used this space for various reasons, to, for makeup and wardrobe. And, you know, it's, it's a good way for the church to make some money on a day that we're not using the space. And so we charge and people come in and they use it. And uh, a, gr a crew was actually looking to use the space tomorrow and was going to pay us, I'm just letting you in on this, was going to pay us more, I mean, almost double than what we always get paid when crews come in. And I felt so strongly about asking you guys to come pray that we denied the crew come from coming in tomorrow just to make sure that this room is filled with prayer. Um, and, uh, and so I, I want to invite you to that. The, the other part of this is not just prayer, but oftentimes in the scriptures, prayer and fasting go together. And so tomorrow I'm asking, actually asking you to fast as well. So you're fast, we're asking you to fast all the way up until six o'clock. And that just means turn your plate down. Really, you're just missing breakfast and lunch. You can have uh, dinner. And, and so I'm just calling you guys to pray. And the reason I'm calling you to pray is because this is the last Monday before uh, we go into two services. And so here's what I want, man. Nehemiah 2, after Nehemiah prays, he approaches the king to get resources for the wall. He says that the good hand of the Lord was on us. And my hope and prayer is that we would fill this room with prayer. We would walk into the kids' space and pray for our children that are not even here yet. People that do not know Jesus that are not here yet. We want to pray that those seats are filled with people uh, that don't know Jesus, that can give their life to him and move from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. So uh, I'm going to put that call out there, 6 o'clock. If you can make it, I'll be here on my knees. And trust me, I'm tired right now. We was at uh, Timmy and Io's uh, festival wedding engagement last night, and we turned up all night. I mean, they, I don't know if you've ever been to a Nigerian uh, engagement party, but they, they start late. Amen. They, they start late. 
And, uh, but it, it is a good time of dancing and just watching the shoot. And, and Christ was like all throughout the whole thing. They, I mean, every moment they could get, they were like, praise Christ, praise the Lord, every moment. And so um, I'm tired, but I, I'm, nevertheless, I'm still asking you guys to meet me here. Trust me, I would love to get an extra hour of sleep in the morning. Uh, but I really feel strongly about that. We're cool. Everybody got it? Yeah. All right, cool. All right, why don't you do me a favor? Open your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. Your Bibles or your devices for you young millennials. First Peter 4. We are continuing on with our First Peter series, Living as Exiles. And we've been going through the entire book of First Peter. Um, when I say that for you, for you guys that are first-time visitors, we, we believe as a church strongly in what's known as expositional preaching. Expositional preaching literally just means what is the author's original intent and what was good for his readers at that time between 60 and 65 B.C. when uh, or, uh, A.D. after the death of Christ. Uh, between that time, whatever was written to them is good for us today. And so one of the ways we find it best to be most faithful to the text is just walking through each verse. So when I say we're going through a book of the Bible, we're literally hitting every single verse of the Bible. Hard ones, easy ones, ones that we know, ones that we don't know, familiar texts, unfamiliar texts. We like to walk through each one of it just to make sure that we are really staying in sync with what the Lord uh, is asking us to do. Not only that, but Jesus commanded us. And that great commission where he says baptize, he also says teach all that I have commanded. And we take that word all serious. That don't mean some. That don't mean selective teaching. That doesn't mean teach the parts that you like. Doesn't mean teach the part that, that you agree with or teach the parts that it's easy to draw people. No, teach all that I've commanded. And so we want to do that faithfully. So why don't you pick me up in verse number one. Finally, in a new chapter here, chapter four, verse one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffice for doing what the Gentiles, that word Gentiles literally just means unbelievers, what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in their flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Verse 5, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I, I simply want to preach from a, a two-word topic, that's boundaries and, re and restraints. Boundaries and restraints. Why don't you look at your neighbor and, and you're not really asking for a response. You're just asking just to ask it a rhetorical question. Why don't you look at them and say, do you have boundaries and do you have restraints built into your life? Let us look to the Lord. Father, this morning. Father, this morning, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. John 15, Jesus is clear that we can do nothing without him. So, Lord, when we think of that word nothing, that means preaching is impossible without Christ. Hearing your word is impossible without Christ. Our gathering today around the centrality of Jesus Christ is impossible if Jesus isn't here. So, Father, we pray this morning that you would uh, enlighten our eyes to the wondrous things in your word. I pray that the word of God would convict us. 
uh, as we talk about boundaries and restraints. Reality is, Lord, many of us in this room do not have boundaries. Many of us in this room that profess Jesus do not have restraints when it comes to sin. Some of us walk all the way out there and we don't tell anybody about it. But there's an internal struggle that many of us have. And some of it, Lord, isn't behavior. Some of it is just our thinking. Some of it's our internal lust and our internal process. And Lord, I just pray that today you would expose us, expose us through your words of Peter. And so, Father, may the gospel be clear. May Jesus be the hero of the text. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. One chilly afternoon during the spring, earlier in the spring this year, I was sitting out in my backyard and uh, it began to get a little chilly. The temperature started to drop. I was reading a book. And so I looked at my fire pit and I looked at some logs I had in the backyard. I said, well, let me grab some fresh logs, throw them into the fire pit and burn a fire so that I can get a little warmer. And so I did that. I grabbed those logs. I put them in, got me a little log starter, lit it right up. And uh, just as the night was like starting to get really, really nice and warm and toasty and the night was perfect, I started to hear sirens outside. Now, I'm used to sirens. I live in Bed-Stuy. And so I use, I'm used to hearing sirens all the time. But these sirens were different because they were loud and they were consistent. So I was like, man, that's not just like a passing truck or a passing ambulance. Like, that's something different. Well, needless to say, as I'm sitting enjoying my book and enjoying my fire, I'm literally poking the fire and enjoying it. Firemen bust through my back door and and they jump over my neighbor's fence into my yard. And I'm like, what is going on? I literally said, why are you here? I have a controlled fire here. Then they begin to tell me that I I didn't know this, that fire pits were illegal in the five boroughs of New York. I had no clue. So they asked me to put it out. So I had to literally get the hose and put it out. And, you know, that causes more smoke than anything. So I literally had to put the fire out. But, you know, fire pits are interesting. Fire pits, they have a unique way of really, really exemplifying what we're talking about today. They have a unique way of showing boundaries and controls and and restraints on a fire. That same fire in my backyard without a fire pit is dangerous. That same fire in my backyard without some type of boundaries and some type of restraints can be deadly. In our text this morning, that is what Peter is showing us. Peter is showing us that our lives are, are really like, a Christian's life is really like that fire pit. You can burn as much as you want as long as you burn within the boundaries and the constraints. Now, here's the thing. We do not like restraints. Let's be honest. We do not like boundaries. Well, Pastor, I know Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. I'm free to do whatever I want. That is not what that text is saying. (laughs) You are free to do whatever you want in in the restraints and boundaries that God puts on us. And hear me. He's not trying to rob your joy. He's not telling you don't do stuff because you're going to miss out on life. No, he's trying to actually fulfill your joy. And that's what Peter's giving us this morning. Really, you know, when it comes to sin and Christianity, before I was saved, I sinned more and I repented less. And after salvation, I should repent more and sin less. Notice I didn't say don't sin. I mean, I'm not saying go sin, but what I am trying to communicate is you will fall. Christian, like God never saved you with the intent that you would not fall. That is why God created what's called grace. Listen, grace is meant to keep you. If there was no grace, the first time you sin, God would have to destroy you because he's holy. But he built in a mechanism and said, this is grace. 
And what grace does is when you do fall, it allows me in my grace, my own boundaries and restraints to actually forgive you. And so Peter is going to show us this morning what it looks like to have different type of restraints. This is what I know as a young church. It's easy to go out and I mean, really go far into sin and call it grace. That's not grace. That's foolishness. That's immaturity. That's spiritual immaturity. When you can sin and say that's grace. No, Peter's going to put all types of restrictions on us. Pick me back up at verse number one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. I'm not going to deal with the suffering of Christ. We dealt with it enough last week. But the next two words are important. Arm yourselves. Please circle that, those two words. That is very important. The New Testament is written in a language called Greek. And in the Greek, that word arm yourselves literally means be equipped. Be ready. Be prepared for battle. That is what Peter is showing us here. And I, I'm not sure how you equip yourself or how you are prepare yourself for battle, but there's a few ways you can be prepared because you might be asking, how do I be equipped? How do I prepare myself for battle? There's really two ways. I mean, there's multiple ways, but there's two prominent ways. Number one, it's so simple. Read your Bibles. Like we can say amen and go home right there. That is one of the ways that you can equip yourself is reading your word. The problem is we don't read our words. We just take it for whatever anybody tells us, whatever the person discipling says is good enough for me. Whatever I say is good enough for you. No, you need to check what I'm saying. You need to go and read the Bible for yourself. The only time your spiritual walk has to go beyond this 40 minutes of us getting together. Your spiritual walk has to go beyond here and you have to read the word. Well, pastor, it's hard to understand the word. The word of God is very difficult. And that's why the, the second way to equip yourself is just as important, and that's sitting under faithful biblical preaching, Amen. period. Like, I, I don't know how, how you operate, but this is an equipping moment right now. This is a moment where we get to huddle up, get into the word of God, and actually try to apply what God tells us through his word. This is why, you know, this moment I take very serious. So I, don't, I can't stand unfaithful, unbiblical, gospel-less preaching. 40, 50 minutes on nothing. Amen. Like, I just don't understand the concept. And people in the crowd going, yes, amen. I do not understand it. Why? Because this is an equipping moment. I take this serious. We don't have time to get together and me, you know, tell you every week your season is coming and money cometh to me now. We have no time for that. And I might be a little angry this morning. I might be a little angry. I heard a sermon earlier this week. I refuse to say the name, but I heard a sermon earlier this week, and I was disturbed by what I heard, disturbed by what I saw and what I witnessed in a moment that you're calling preaching, in a moment that you're supposed to be laying out the gospel message of Christ. You're laying out your opinion. I cannot stand unfaithful unbiblical preaching. Why? Because Peter tells us this morning to arm yourselves. One of the ways you arm yourself, this is a huddle. When I used to play football in high school, uh, we used to have this thing called a huddle before we get back on the field. Every single, we didn't do a play, not a single play on the field unless we first got in a huddle. And when we got in a huddle, what, really what it was was the captain just telling us that not something new. He wasn't inventing a new play. He was telling us something that we already knew. And so we could get out and execute it on the field. When we get together like this, the captain, Jesus Christ, I'm not the captain. Jesus Christ communicates to us how we should live lives. And we walk out of here and we obey what Jesus says. Once again, that's part of the Great Commission. It doesn't just say teach them to uh, teach them. It says teach them to observe. 
to obey. So the application is just as important as the information that you're getting. If all you do is come in here and write notes and do nothing with it, you're not being equipped. You're not being armed. But the scripture is very clear. No, listen, arm yourselves. Preaching is important. This moment of us getting together is important. Acts 2, when 3,000 souls get added to the church, what does verse 42 say? After 3,000 give their lives to the Lord, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Not equating myself with an apostle, but I am saying it's something important about a church gathering around the word of God. And one of my main responsibilities is to teach the word. Why? Because it is a equipping moment. Peter says it well, since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh. He says, arm yourselves. One of the reasons we arm ourselves is you know, later on in chapter, in chapter 5, verse number 8, he's going to say that the devil, your adversary, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If the devil rolls up on you and you ain't got enough word in you, he will take you down. The scripture is very clear this morning. It says, this is how you defeat. When we get to chapter five, verse eight, you want to know how to defeat the devil? Arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with the things of God. Notice that this is an imperative. Like he's not suggesting that you arm yourself. He's not saying this is a good idea that you should arm yourself. What Peter is giving us right now is written in imperative form, meaning it is a command. He is commanding us this morning to arm ourselves. It is very important. Now, you may be saying, okay, you're, you're just giving me tools to read the Bible and also submit myself to uh, really, really faithful biblical preaching. Why do I do that? Because that engages not just the heart, but the mind. Where am I getting that from? Look back at the verse with me. Verse number one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves, watch this, with the same way of thinking. When, when Peter wants to talk to us about boundaries and restraints, he does not lead with saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He leads with, do this, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. He does not start with behavior modification. He starts with our mind. Why? Because conduct is a result of what's on your mind. If I was to lay out your thoughts, not from a year ago, two years ago, from just one, 24 hours of your thoughts on these screens, you probably would run out of here. So Peter says this morning, listen, arm yourselves with, with, uh, with the same way of thinking. He does something similar in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says something real similar. He says, therefore, preparing your minds. So Peter is like, listen, I'm not going to start with your behavior because if I start with your behavior, what that's going to lead to is legalism. You're going to say, as long as I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't smoke, me and God are good. But it goes deeper than that. He says, no, your thinking, your mind is just as important. And why is that important? Notice the progression. The mind leads to conduct. Your conduct doesn't lead to your mind. Like you saying, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to smoke anymore. That doesn't get to your mind. You'll fall back into the behavior when it's just behavior modification. But when you change your mind, when you have the word filling up your mind, that does something completely different. Really, this is how you should go through life. This is the best way we feed our minds with the word of God. You should go through life with the, with the word of God as your glasses. This is how you should. So in your mind, you're like, well, what kind of man should I choose? Well, what does the word of God say about a godly man? 
What, what kind of woman should I choose? Well, what does Proverbs 30 say about a godly woman? Where, where should I do life? Where should I go through life? Well, what, is the God, what does the word of God say about living missionally? The word of God should be our glasses. The problem is we don't have spiritual glasses of the word of God because we're too busy taking everyone else's opinions. We take everyone else's opinions over the word of God. And when you do that, really what you're doing is you're putting on another pair of glasses. You're not putting on the word of God. Can, can I have like two or three people? Let me get both of your glasses. Let me get your glasses, hon. Who else has glasses on? Let me get like two pairs. Can I have your glasses? Come on, come on, come on. Give me these glasses. <laughs> let, let me get one more pair. Sherry, can I have your glasses? Th this is what it's like. This is what it's like. I have no clue. I'm going to be sick after I put all these on. This is what it's like, you know. You're not arming yourself with the word of God. You're, you're taking friends and saying, girl, what do you think I should do about him? Girl, you should let your hair down. <laughs> so you just put on somebody else's worldviews. You, you got to wipe these off. These got some grease on them. And, and then, you know, you go to somebody else. And maybe it's not a person. Maybe, maybe, they, these look all right? Okay. Maybe it's not a person. Maybe, maybe it's a show. You know, let's see what Empire says about this. Then we just put on another pair of glasses. I'm already feeling a little nauseous here. And, and then, you know, after a while, we go to somebody else. We go to our friend. And, we, you know, we don't read the word of God. We go for more counsel. And then we go to a un, un, not a non-Christian a, a non therapist. And, and then next thing you know, we, you know, we go to somebody else for counsel. And then, oh, what does mama say? Mama got something to say, too. And then next thing you know, you are walking around like this. Ooh, ooh. And what, what happens when you have a bunch of different glasses on is after a while, you become sick. You have no vision of your own. You're walking around like this when you should be walking around like this. The Bible says, if I preach the rest of this sermon like this, I will puke. So let me give all these back if y'all can pass those out for me. Arm yourselves, the Bible says, with the same way of thinking. How do we get our minds wrapped around the word of God? We read the word of God. We sit and hear faithful teaching of the word of God. Not somebody just giving their opinion. Not someone that reads the text and then spends 40 minutes talking about everybody else in the church. I'm talking about people that apply the word of God, that preach the word of God. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the image of this world. But be transformed, here it is, by the renewing of your mind. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Here it is. Set your minds on the things that are above. Behavior follows the mind. You don't feed your body junk. If I bought a plate of food from the garbage outside on Fulton Street, you would not eat it. But yet we feed our mind everything else. Everything else but the word of God. The Bible says this, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse number two, so as to live the rest of life, uh, the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Really what verse 2 is saying, verse 2 is basically saying, live your lives for God. Here's what's crazy. Peter really is, the whole point of this passage is on 
boundaries and restraints. But if you notice, he still hasn't gotten to any boundaries and he still hasn't gotten to any restraints. He first dealt with our mind. He dealt with how we interpret life and do we let culture shape our life or do our thinking or do we let the word of God shape our thinking. Then he gets to verse 2 and I would think that in verse 2 he would jump right in to talking about a list of what not to do but he doesn't do that. He goes to our relationship with God. Why? Because when I give you rules, rules are better. They're, 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 you'll, you'll most likely obey rules when you have a relationship with the person that's given the rules. If I just have a relationship with my boys, that's all rules. Just don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. We have no relationship. First of all, they're not going to obey the rules because they don't respect me. But if we got a relationship, they will hear my rules and they'll adhere to the rules why will they do it? Because of our relationship. In verse number two, he's saying, listen, live for God. Don't let the rules trump your relationship. And this is what you see in Exodus. When God wanted to deliver out Israel from Egypt, he does not give them a list of rules and say, follow these and then I'll deliver you. In, verse, in chapter 12 of Exodus, he delivers them from Egypt. They don't get rules until chapter 20. What is he saying? From 12 to 20, I'm building a relationship with you. And then now that I got a relationship with you, now that you've seen me work, now that you've seen me part the Red Sea, you've seen me strike this rock and water come pouring out, you've seen manna every single morning. Now that you've seen the faithfulness and we have a relationship, now I'm going to give you rules. He does not give us rules first. Why doesn't he give us rules first? Because it'll lead to legalism. Let me define legalism. Legalism is literally strict adherence to rules. And the reason you have strict adherence to rules is because you want to appease the one that is giving you the rules. That, like, you're not saved because you behaved. You're not saved because you obeyed the rules. You're saved because Jesus swooped down and saved your trifling butt. And after he saved you, he gave you rules. After he saved you, he gave us boundaries. He says, this is what you do and this is what you don't do. Look at verse number three. Now we're finally going to get to rules. Dealt with our mind, dealt with our thinking, dealt with a relationship in verse number two. Now in verse number three, he says, for the time that passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles, again, unbelievers, just take that word Gentiles and just think unbelievers, what unbelievers do. Living in, watch this list of six things, sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. He finally gives us rules. And the rules that he gives us is interesting. The boundaries and restraints that he gives us all have to do with drinking and having sex. That's the whole list of the rules. Like, I mean, look at the rules. The, the rules literally say in verse uh, three, it says sensuality, that's sexual uh, desires, passion, which in the Greek literally means lust, drunkenness, that's drinking, orgies, that's sex, drinking parties, that's drinking again, lawless idolatry is all types of sin. So five of the six in the list all have to do with drinking and having sex. Why? Because in this culture at this time, Christians were looked at as weird. The reason Christians were weird during this time is because they didn't, they didn't do what everyone else did in the culture. Everyone else in the culture went to gladiator games and theaters and pagan festivals. In fact, there's, when I went to Israel, they took me to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi can be found in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus stands on the mountain and says, 
upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not uh, prevail against it. Literally, there's a, a hole cut out in the rock that they said that that's actually the gates of hell. That's what, in that time, that's what they would, would say. Jesus stands on the place where they say is the gates of hell. And he says, I'm going to build my church here. I'm going to trump what's going on here. Now, here's the interesting thing about Caesarea Philippi. Stay with me. In Caesarea Philippi, once a year, they would have a festival called the Festival of Pan. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the god Pan. You should look it up. It, it is not like, a, it's not like Cupid. It's not a god of relationships or a god of love. It is literally a god of lust a god of sex. When you would go to this festival, I mean, 2,500 people would pour into Caesarea Philippi and the priest would get on the stage and perform acts of bestiality. The priest would get, they have statues right now of a, of a, of a priest at the festival of Pan actually having some type of intercourse with a goat. When I got there, I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. So not only that, but there would be all types of orgies and things going on. And so what Peter is saying to us here is, don't participate in that stuff. You're a Christian. Don't go to those things. This is like the Festival of Pan was not like Afropunk. It wasn't. This was a place where everybody, you go to do whatever you want. And Peter gives us a strict list here. He says, and a lot of drinking would happen there as well. So Peter's list says, no, don't go to those things. Don't go to gladiator games. Don't go to these weird festivals. No, what you do is, you, you have boundaries on your life. You have restraints on your life. And I know, you know, many of us in this room, we wouldn't go to those type of things. But just because we would say that's gross doesn't mean the things that you think aren't gross. The things that ro roam around in your mind, the perverted things that you scroll through, the things that brothers you on your laptop in the middle of the night looking at. Peter is like, no, abstain from those things, which made them weird. It made them stand out. Remember, the, the whole, it says living as exiles. To be an exile literally means to be a sojourner. It means to be an immigrant, to be someone far off, to be someone that's not from that land. The people of that land went to the festivals, but not Christians. He says, no, 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 don't go on those things. Now, here's the thing. Again, I said in the beginning, God is not trying to rob you of joy. He's not saying don't do these things so that you can be miserable and bored. No, he's fulfilling your joy. How many people ride roller coasters here? You would jump on a roller coaster. See, y'all are crazy, every one of y'all. I don't ride roller coasters. My, my life is adventurous enough. I got enough danger in the life to, than to get on a roller coaster. Now, here, here's the interesting thing about a roller coaster. What fulfills your joy on that roller coaster is when you get on and they strap you in and then you zip off. That's what makes a roller coaster fun. Getting on it, sitting down, putting on the strap, hearing the click, 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 and then just dropping or, or just shooting out, whatever one. But here's the interesting thing about it. If you think about a roller coaster, if all of you guys that raised your hand got on a roller coaster and they said, oh, that seatbelt's broken, <laughs> would you still have the same joy? Why? What fulfills the joy on the roller coaster that you have restraints? What fulfills your joy on that roller coaster is that there's boundaries and you can't just do whatever. No, you're tucked in. That is the same thing in Christianity. What fulfills your joy is not that you're able to do whatever you want. It's, it's you doing what God commands us to do. So Peter says, this is what you do. Strap in. Put your seatbelt on. Stop living life in a way that is just 
for, like narcissistic. You just fulfill whatever desire you want. No, you have to have really what he's showing us is spiritual discipline, which is a fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. The very last one is self-control. Don't tell me you can't overcome that sin and you've trusted in Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit, God himself, living in you and you can't overcome that sin. You can overcome the sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Let's get back in the text. Verse, chapter, uh, verse number four. Let me read verse number three. For the time is past, the, the, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Verse number four, with respect to this, talking about that list, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. When I got to verse number four earlier this week, I, I saw something that I, that I didn't think about when we first started this, uh, this first Peter series. When I thought, thought about the persecution of believers during that time, I often thought that it was just physical. They were, they were physically tortured. They were beheaded. They were killed. So I just thought it was a persecution that was physical. But did you notice that verse 4 says that when you don't do the things that they do, there's another type of persecution that you get. It's abandonment. It's rejection. When you don't do the things that your friends that don't love Jesus do, there is a sense of separation that you have with them. The problem with us is we do whatever our friends do. You only put Jesus on on Sunday mornings, Monday through Saturday. You look like everybody else. You look like all of the friends that you hang around. Somebody has to stand up and say, no, 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 no. We shouldn't do that. Those are things that we shouldn't go. We shouldn't go that far. Somebody has to show Jesus. In the relationship. And so the scripture tells us this morning, it says, no, when they see that you're not partaking, they're actually going to ostracize you. And not only that, the Bible says they're going to malign you. They're going to talk about you, which is another form of persecution when people reject you, which, by the way, points us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he was rejected. He was ostracized. He was he was looked at as crazy or an outsider. We're just looking more like Jesus. So the Bible says that they go from surprise to outrage. That's what they, they're surprised that you don't do what they do, but then they start to talk about you when you do do it. Now, understand something about this time. You not going to the festivals was you not fulfilling your civic duty. A part of the culture was that you would go to these festivals. It's almost like, you, you know, one of the things we have here in America is, you know, we separate. We don't have to go to everything public. But, but the best way I can try to illustrate how ostracized you would be is if you didn't pledge allegiance to the flag. A cultural norm. So a black man kneeling with a fro, that don't go well. Now, I'm not saying Colin Kaepernick is a, a Christian. I don't even want to make this message political because that's not where he's going. But what I will say is what Peter is telling them, Peter is saying, don't go to the festivals and you'll start to look like Colin Kaepernick. You'll start to be ostracized. So much so that the president of the United States is going to talk about you when he should be talking about policies. He's talking about you kneeling. So what, what we're seeing in the text is, and I know you're like, well, pastor, that, that, just, that don't go well together. Like at the festivals, there was sin. 
right? There was orgies and bestiality. There was all types of sin. But is black lives, the injustice on black lives not sinful? It is sinful as well. So what you see in the text, he's saying, don't go to those things. And when you don't go to them, you're going to be talked about. Don't, don't like be surprised when you're talked about. Don't be surprised when you're not welcome and accepted because you're not doing what everybody else does. He's saying, listen, show some spiritual discipline. Here's why you can show spiritual discipline. Verse five. This is the reason you can do it. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached. There it is again, preaching. Even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live, listen, in the spirit. Remember, I said one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. The reason why you can have boundaries, the reason why you can have restraints is because you have the Holy Spirit. Live in the spirit. How many people wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to follow what the spirit is saying today. Lord, I want to like... We do things and don't even think the Holy Spirit is present. Like God himself is present. But yet we go through life and we don't think about those things. Here's what I know. Many of you in this room walked in today and you have no boundaries. There is no restraint to your life. But here's the crazy part of it. That all of us in this room are fooled. We all think that you got boundaries. We all, think that, we all think that there are certain things that you won't do. But in reality, when you're private and when you're alone, do you do those things? Do you entertain those thoughts? Here's what Peter's saying. Don't do those things. Peter is very clear. Like, I, I'm a church, we're, a, we're a church and I'm a pastor that is serious about grace. I believe in grace. But I also believe that grace doesn't mean just do whatever you want does not mean that. No. Peter is like, no, you're going to put some type of boundaries into place. Everybody in this room, bow your heads and close your eyes for a second because I, I really want to pray for all of us. Not some of us. I want to pray for all of us because I think this text actually hits on all of us. There's nobody in this room that can walk away and say, I'm killing the list. But all of us are struggling, trying to make it, trying to look more like Jesus trying to please God, not to be accepted. We're accepted in Jesus, but to look more like his son. I want to pray for somebody today. You don't have to come down to the altar. I want to pray for somebody that will be honest and say, I don't have boundaries. Actually, I thought I did have them. I don't have any type of restraint. There are areas in my life, areas in my life that there is no control. I don't know how to stop. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's not anything to do with sex or drinking. Maybe it's just an addiction to something else. You can break that today. And you can break it not because you're strong enough. Let me just tell you, you're not strong enough. You are weak by yourself. But you can break it. What the scripture says? Live in the spirit. Galatians 5.16 they that walk in the spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We've gratified the flesh too much. Part of fasting tomorrow, part of praying tomorrow is to kill your flesh. That's what fasting is. It's a reminder to you that your flesh is not stronger than your spirit. Father, I want to pray for every person in this room.
reality is, Lord, the power of sin and Satan is broken. You didn't just promise to save us. But when you, when you, when you promised salvation in Genesis 3, 15, the first promise, it wasn't a promise just of salvation. It was a promise to crush the one that has power over us. He'll bruise your heel, but you'll crush his head. And because Satan has been defeated on the cross of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, those who have trusted in Jesus now can be free from sin. We do not have to live in it, Lord. And I, I pray for each person. I pray for the one that's not honest, like openly honest. The person that's not honest with themselves. The person that will walk out of here, say, amen, that was nice, but I'm going to do my thing. I pray for that person. Would you ransom their soul today? Would you ransom our fickle way of thinking and submit us to you? Help us to arm ourselves this morning. Help us to take serious what we feed our minds and our spirit. Help us to take that stuff serious. Because after a while, our thinking turns into conduct. It just does. And it may not catch up with us now, but at some point, sin always catches up with us. And if we skate through life and it doesn't catch up with us, it'll catch up with us when we stand before you. Father, none of us in this room can profess faith in Jesus and walk out and don't live for him. All of us have to submit ourselves to your lordship. And through your Holy Spirit authoring the text this morning, it tells us to have boundaries, to have restraints. And so, Father, building us self-control, building us a will to look more like Jesus. On those moments where nobody is around, where it's late at night, build in boundaries. Pray for accountability in this room. Some people have nobody that they can talk to about their struggles. I pray that would not be the DNA of Epiphany Church. I pray that Epiphany Church would be a place that we out ourselves. We tell others, I am struggling. We tell others, I am not doing well right now. I've struggled with sin all week long. And I pray that when we confess that to our brothers and our sisters, that we will have people surrounded around us that will Shape us in the word of God. Not give their opinion. Put us into the word of God. Father, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ because at the cross, you did break the power of Satan. And I pray, Lord, that today would be a reminder of that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.